0: Okay y'all, gonna keep it real with you, I've been looking forward to this week for a long time. I am a major film buff. I can honestly say that if it weren't for my love of film, there's no way I'd be here teaching this class today. My love of film is what has brought me to this point, and that's kind of weird to think about. I started watching films when I was two years old. The films were Babe and Winnie the Pooh, and they were my absolute favorites. As a kid, I love Disney flicks. It became Lilo and Stitch for me. As a teenager, Lord of the Rings was my big thing. Now I kind of sort of watch artsy films and pretend to like them. Um, (laughs) I need to get back to the place where I'm seeing films that I actually enjoy because it's, it's kind of been a minute. I've been perusing Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and... Frankly, Nicolas Cage movies are about the only things that I've enjoyed lately. And strangely, The Door of the Explorer film. That was actually pretty good. The only serious movie lately that I've watched and really had a good time watching was The Five Bloods by Spike, Spike Lee on Netflix. That was that was a fantastic film. I when I was 14 years old, I started making this stuff. I started making short films, spoofs of my favorite movies like Lord of the Rings and The Prince of Persia. That was something I was really big into that no one remembers anymore. I was making them with my buddies just on a little flip camera, and it was a hobby. It was what I did. It became kind of an obsession of mine. I kept making them. They kept getting longer and longer. I had a very unsuccessful YouTube channel. I think I had 150 subscribers and never got over a few thousand views on anything that I ever made. But I was a kid, and I was loving it, you know? When I got to college, turns out there were people who needed people who could make videos. I started working for the local city where my town was located. I did films of rodeos and car races, ended up doing some commercials, helped a guy make a wedding video, and that became its own wedding video business. I probably made 15 wedding videos, if not more. And tell you what, that's a great way. If you have video skills or want to develop them, that's a good way to make a buck fast. Tell you what, I used to make $1,000 a pop on those things. It's a good way to make money, an excellent business. But wedding videos are hard and they're repetitive. So if you want to get into that business, talk to me. I'll tell you all about it. But I tell you what, I don't want to be in it anymore myself. Eventually, I moved on to documentaries. Now I make things for museums and schools, but it's a far cry from the types of things that I wanted to make as a kid. It's not the Lord of the Rings. It's not, you know, these grand epic films that are dramatic and have actors in them. It's smaller stuff. It's stuff that's a little more grounded in the reality of what I'm able to produce by myself. I don't need a whole lot of help to make a documentary. My wife Amber tends to help me out a bunch with those, but I don't need a huge crew to make them. It's interesting where video has come over time. It used to be like polo. It used to be a rich person's game. Now it's a little more like golf. It still costs money to do, but it's a little bit easier to get involved, to do stuff for yourself. And now, with the advent of phone cinematography, we are entering a new era where anyone can make anything and people have an appetite for it. The success of places like YouTube and TikTok, to say nothing of the streaming giants right now, is incredible. This whole industry is reshaping itself. So today, I wanna to focus on a couple things that I'm able to talk to you all about. I am going to talk to you about the business of video, the business of film, rather, I should say, in terms of the streaming and the theatrical side of things, budgeting, all that sort of good stuff, because I'm a total box office nerd. And I can tell you, I could probably tell you any film that you listed in the last uh, three years, I could probably tell you whether it was financially successful or not. Um, And then I'm going to talk about cinematography, which is the thing about filmmaking that I really love. There's so much artistry that goes into a shot in a film, it just blows my mind. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But I want you to be thinking about how you play into this. Whether you're interested in being a sports reporter, whether you're actually interested in making films or being into radio, this subject is one that impacts all of us because at some point or another, we watch films. We're all involved in this industry, this industry builds our culture in a lot of ways. The things that happen in movies become things that we say to our friends, things that we see reflected in advertising and in art. Movies have such a massive influence on culture. So when we talk about how they're built, we're really talking in a lot of ways about how culture is built. Think again about the first movie you ever saw think about your favorite movie think about the movies that you've seen in the past couple months these are things that have become a part of us it's fascinating and i love thinking and talking about it we're on movies for two weeks because movies is a big topic but today that's what we're doing we're talking about cinematography and the business side of filmmaking So it's 2020, and the movie theaters have been closed for about seven months now. I know there's some that are working to try to reopen. They've been showing old flicks, Harry Potter flicks. Um, Tenant has come out. That's the Christopher Nolan flick. And a lot of people are big Christopher Nolan fans, and they thought that that was going to jumpstart things. But it's just been a bad thing for theaters this year. They've been closed since March. It's like, what, seven months? And if you had been keeping up with movie theaters at all before this, movie theaters were already losing money, more money than they were making. It's been a really big issue. People have been talking about movie theaters closing permanently for a couple of years now. People don't go to the movies quite as much as they used to, especially when you look back at movie theaters' history. When they were first out, before people had TVs, people would go to the movie theaters a couple times a week, several times a week. Ticket prices were real cheap back then because people came so often. They wouldn't just watch movies there. They'd have cartoons for the kids, but also the full features, and they would have newsreels. So people would get everything they kind of get from TV today from the movie theater. As people have abandoned movie theaters, as TV has gotten better and better, movie theaters have had to increase their ticket cost which has, in turn, caused fewer people to want to go to the movies. It's become kind of a vicious cycle. I had this movie theater back in my college town that I went to periodically, and the owners of it were just straight-up depressed because they knew that on a normal movie night, they wouldn't even be close to full. They might be able to fill up a movie theater screen when a new Star Wars movie or a new Marvel movie came out, but anything shy of that, they were struggling to get by. Movies make money a couple different ways. So the first thing that a movie goes and does is it goes into the theater, right? It goes and it plays there. They get roughly half of your ticket price when you go to to a movie. Half of that goes to the people who made the movie. So if you pay 10 bucks for a ticket, five bucks goes back to the studio, more or less. Uh, So the remaining five bucks kind of goes to the movie theater itself, but it's not a lot to run things theaters make money off of popcorn and drinks and snacks more than off the ticket price They barely make back the ticket price I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute after movies roll through the movie theaters where they make most of their money they then go and they are sold on DVD or you no know, license for streaming or television. But they most still come out on DVD. Uh, movies can make a substantial amount of money doing this. I know uh, when Frozen came out on DVD, it made something like an extra $400 million just off of DVD sales alone. So it's worth something. The DVD market isn't quite dead yet. Uh, It's kind of the DVD slash Blu-ray market. I don't know if you like Blu-rays. I haven't been able to get into them. I just don't, don't see the appeal. So in addition to going out like that, then movies go and they play on television. And there's a little bit of a kickback in terms of money that the television company pays to the movie studio in order to play that film. So there's a number of ways for movies to make money, but budgets are massive. It's it's incredible what movies cost to make in Hollywood these days. The average Marvel movie will cost something like 200 million dollars. And you have to understand, like that's not just the movie doesn't just have to make that in order to to make money because they only make about half the ticket price. Uh, a movie has to gross something like a 200 a 200 million dollar movie needs to gross double its budget at the box office plus another 50 percent in order to cover their marketing costs so two and a half times their budget normally gets you about your break-even point so if a movie costs 200 million dollars to make it's going to have to make 500 million dollars at the box office to even make any money for itself at all otherwise it's just breaking even this is ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, this is ridiculous. Um, especially when movies can be bu- budgeted more reasonably. Deadpool, for instance, was only given $50 million to work off of. It was massively profitable. Same thing with uh, like that Joker movie that came out last year. It made a billion dollars, but it didn't have to. It could have made about $200 million, like one-fifth of what it did, and it still would have made money because they kept the budget small enough to where they didn't have to make a ton of money. This is something that movie theaters are really, not movie theaters, but the movie production industry is really going to have to look at uh, because, because they're running themselves into the ground with everything that's not their biggest, most hardcore movies. Again, people used to go see a movie just to see a movie. Now people go to the movie theater maybe a couple times a year and only for the biggest movies. They're only going to see you know, The Lion King, or Toy Story, or Star Wars, or The Avengers. They're not going and seeing, like, one film that was supposed to go to theaters this year that ended up not was called The King of Staten Island. It's just, it's, a, it's about a, a comedian, not a comedian, he's, he's a tattoo artist. He's played by a comedian, excuse me. He's a tattoo artist whose dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11. It's not a massive film. It's not something that everyone's going to be talking about around the water cooler, on social media, rather. Um, so, while it did okay on the VOD version, where it just went straight to the internet for people to buy, it probably wouldn't have done so well in theaters, because people don't tend to go to that type of thing anymore. Theaters need more than just five big films a year, though. They can't just put that, those five big films in and, and then not get any other movies but theaters have to pay to have movies brought in. That's why it's mostly the popcorn. They make back some of the ticket price, but that ticket price is going to pay for them having the movie at all. So something like It, I remember talking to the gal who owned the theater uh, that I I went to a lot about that movie. They had to pay something like a couple thousand dollars just to have It at their theater. So the ticket price, even though they got to keep half of it, it, by the time everyone had bought a ticket, They didn't have anything left because they had had to spend like two grand in order to get that film in the first place. So the way they make money is through the popcorn, through the soda, and that's just simply not enough for most theaters. There's a lot of theaters around the country that are looking at bankruptcy right now. And it's possible that movie movie producers like Disney and Universal may look into buying movie theaters. There used to be a law against that. Um, but that's, that's changing now. Streaming sites make money in a completely different way, obviously. They make it through a monthly payment, which means that each individual thing that they make doesn't have to make money as long as their subscribers overall are increasing. So Netflix puts out a ton of unique content each year. They put out docs, they put out full movies, they put out TV shows. And as long as they're making enough from their subscribers to justify making those things, it doesn't matter if one thing is just super popular and all the rest aren't. Stranger Things made Netflix a ton of money. A film like Roma may not have made them hardly anything. It's hard to say how many people watched any of these things because we don't get reports Movie theaters have to publish how much money their movies are making. But streamers aren't required to do that, so we will never know how many people watched everything on Netflix. All we have to know is that Netflix keeps plugging away. It's a different way to make money. It's kind of strange, but we're seeing it become more and more popular. More streaming sites have been created than ever. And that's going to produce an interesting problem for viewers which streamer are you going to go with are you going to try to get all of them are you gonna pick just a few eventually it's going to cost what a normal cable package did just to have all these different streamers that you want to keep in your back pocket and all the while while we're spending money on that movie theaters are continuing to lose money and here's the shake though if movie theaters close The producers of movies won't be able to make the same amount of money they did off of streaming. It's just not going to make... You can't spend $200 million on a bunch of films that are going to go to streaming. You really want that money to be paid in the movie theater. Because if you pay, what, is it 5 bucks for Hulu? Like, ticket costs are $10, and that's just for one movie. So the people who make movies make a lot of their money off the movie theaters... If they close, the way people make movies is going to have to completely change. This was a deep dive, and I hope I didn't lose any of you. Next up, we're going to talk about how a movie actually gets made, from the whole process from screenplay through to the distribution. There's a lot of stages in the filmmaking process. It starts with the screenplay. First thing you gotta do is you gotta write it. A screenplay turns into storyboards, into shot lists. Every little piece of the film is mapped out into what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like. It moves into pre-production, where costumes are designed, actors are cast, locations are found, sets are built. Production is the shooting part. It normally doesn't last for very long, uh, 30 days, 45 days. Some films wrap in as short as a week. After that, it moves into post-production and editing. All the different pieces that have been shot are put together, soundtracks are constructed and placed behind the film's track. This process goes on for a long while. In the meantime, deals are being struck to get this film in theaters, to get it overseas to get it anywhere that the film distribution company wants to get it. This is the distribution process. In the end, the film is finished with hopefully enough time. (laughs) Then it's sent off to the movie theaters and all the different parts of the world that it's supposed to go to. This process is challenging in a number of ways. One, because it takes some time. Having to go through all these different stages for there to be a writing component, to be pre-production, post-production, distribution all this stuff takes time and it takes money the hardest part for us as people who might want to be independent filmmakers is the distribution much like it's difficult to get a book in a bookstore it's difficult to get a movie in a movie theater you have to have connections you have to have authority you have to be able to show that people actually want to see the film that you've made and just like self-publishing there is an alternative in YouTube We have found that YouTube can be a very effective way to get films in front of an audience. Now, audience tastes change. A lot of people don't like watching full films on YouTube, but golly, they'll sure watch game playthroughs. They'll watch reality type shows. My sister is a big fan of Dude Perfect. I think she seems to like it more than any other type of media right now, and that's crazy to me, but that's the way things go. Heck, back in the early days of film, not, not the early days of film, the early days of YouTube, people watched zip popping videos. That's what was popular. People would pop zits on camera and people would watch it. And that was just what people wanted on the internet. That blows my mind. But people will watch full films if you put them on YouTube. Amazon, just the same way it does, you know, Kindle e-publishing, also allows for films to go up on Amazon Prime. People can actually do that. You have to have your film completed and it needs to have subtitles. And as long as you have that, you can get a film on Amazon and make a little bit of money off of it. It's per play, but it's a little bit of something. So the ways that we get films in front of audiences, it's been changing. Again, it's now more in our hands than ever. There are screenwriting softwares that are free to use. Over the weekend, I realized that it had been way too long since I had made a film. So I started writing a screenplay. I started using a screenplay program that I've never used before. It's called StudioBinder. And again, completely free. Has all the formatting for screenplays that I can need. It has places for me to build out. I mentioned a shot list earlier. Let me tell you what a shot list is. Every time the camera cuts in a film, that's a shot, right? For as long as the camera is running in one position, That is a single shot. And what I like to do in production, what a lot of people do, is I write out the description of what that shot should look like. I talk about what colors and light and how long and what should happen in the screenplay during this shot. All that detail goes into a shot list. It helps me be organized because when you have actors and camera people working on a film, you have to be organized. You have to know what shot comes next. It's difficult, once things get bigger and more complicated, to play it by ear. The last big film production I worked on was, I say that, that wasn't a documentary. The last big thing I worked on was a sci-fi short film about 45 minutes long called Alone Plural. And I cast this film myself, I wrote it, worked for a couple months on this screenplay, And then I went through and I I mapped out every single shot that was in thing. Hundreds and hundreds of shots. I figured out the colors and the camera lenses that I wanted to use. I brought in people who could work microphones for me. I ran the camera myself. And we went to all these crazy locations. We were in an abandoned movie theater in Sayre, Oklahoma. We were in the mountainous region down south in kind of southern Oklahoma. It's the uh, Quartz Mountain region. We went to all these places, and we shot all these things, but the film ended up not working on the edit. I got nearly finished by the edit when I realized, dadgum, this thing is boring. It's not going to work. I've been tempted ever since to finish it, to really just go through and put the final few touches on it so I can watch it all the way through after all that work, all the months I went into. i probably worked on this thing for a year, but I haven't yet. And that's the reality of some productions that you may find yourself doing, projects that you may throw yourself into, but don't worry about it. Every time we try something new, we learn something. Every time we fail, we learn probably more than we would if we succeeded. If it weren't for the numerous things that I tried that were too big for me, that were too ambitious for me, I wouldn't have done the projects that I have today the documentary projects, the commercial projects, the things that have helped me make a little extra money and have honestly led to me getting this job here, I wouldn't have been able to do those if I hadn't failed. So when you're doing projects of any kind, whether you're putting together a music album, a podcast or a film, don't be disheartened by your failures. Embrace them, finish them if you can, get up and keep going. Film equipment can be expensive but each one of us has a phone. This week, we're gonna use our phones and we're going to make a little something. For those of us who have never done this before, this will be our first start into making film. Maybe you'll wanna keep on a journey, maybe you won't, but these skills will be worth it. And I think we're gonna have a lot of fun. Before I describe what this project is though, I need to talk about the basic language of film. It's called cinematography and it's my favorite thing in all of the film world. It's my favorite form of media. So I'm gonna nerd out about that for a few minutes and I hope you enjoy it. Cinematography refers to the framing, movement of the camera, the light, the colors, and the editing. Cinematography is everything that you can do with the camera to speak to your audience. It's almost its own language because there are things that you can do with the camera that will tell the audience certain things that they need to know. So for instance, if you position a camera looking straight into someone's eyes, they will perceive that person as fairly trustworthy. Now. If you pull the camera down to where you're looking up at the cam, up at the person, if the camera's looking up towards that person from a, a lower position, they will perceive that person as being powerful. Oftentimes people making films will, will shoot their villains like that, so that the villain seems powerful and hard to beat. This is just one example of things that we can do. When we pull the camera way far back to where the character is just kind of tiny in the frame, that makes that ca- character feel small, powerless, far away. If they put, if you put a character in the dead center of the frame, that character will be perceived as important. If you move them over to the left, they'll be perceived as, as struggling a little bit if it's all the way to one corner of the frame. We're seeing all this stuff in films right now. We see this language. It's a constantly developing language because the more you do of it, the more it's used, the more common it becomes. So I want to talk about four distinct elements. The first is framing, the second is light, the third is color, and the fourth is editing. Framing means what can you see when you look at the TV screen, and why are the things in that screen in the position that they are. So what I was talking about just a second ago with, are they all the way over to the left? Are they in the middle? Is it far away? Is it very close up? That's the framing. Framing is one of the most fun things in the world. I love getting close ups on things. I love finding unique ways to put my characters in the frame. I love sticking as many characters as possible in the frame sometimes. When I was making uh, my one of my other sci-fi short films, I had this running motif where a character will be very close to the camera, but behind that character over the shoulder, there will be another character kind of blurry in the background that will be talking to them. I love finding creative ways to to frame. For those of you who are into photography, you know what I'm talking about here. When we talk about light, you can do a lot with light, right? Light changes throughout the day. Early morning and late evening light is some of the most beautiful light in the world. Light coming straight down from you at high noon can cause weird facial shadows that won't look quite right. A glowing orange lamp creates a different feel than one of these more blue or white light bulbs that we're seeing installed in houses now, and so much different from the almost green fluorescent lights that are in much of the buildings here at Langston University. All this light makes us feel a different way. A nice orange light could make us feel safe and at home, while a cold light can make us feel like there's danger. You can use light in this way to make the audience have a different perception of what's going on in the film. Same thing, as that bleeds into color, the color of the light can have a massive impact, but also the color that is in the scene from other sources. So if a character always wears a red hat, or if another character wears purple, you know, those things can can bring different feelings to those characters. We perceive red as an angry color, so a person wearing a red hat could be perceived as angry, as is the case with a character from that film I mentioned earlier, The Five Bloods uh, by Spike Lee. It's about four old Vietnam vets who go back to Vietnam to find the body of their commander, who's played by Chadwick Boseman, and to get this gold that they've hidden that they found on a in a plane crash while they were soldiers in vietnam it's a great film i watched it over the fourth of july can't recommend it enough it's on netflix spike lee is a genius and i really enjoy watching his stuff but the different colors that take place throughout that film let us know what what we should be feeling at those different times And a lot of that comes down to editing, just as much as it does to the light in the scene. You can change the color of a scene using editing in a program. And editing can, we can cut fast between different shots. So if a shot's only on screen for a couple seconds at a time, that fast pace increases the tension for us. But sometimes there are very long shots that let us really sink into the scene. The longer the shot, the more it feels like we're actually living in the movie with people. My favorite scene in The Five Bloods is towards the end. This one character named Paul, who wears a red hat by the way, monologues to the camera for a minute. It's not that he's breaking character, but for the first time in the film, he actually looks at the camera and he goes on this long, deep rant about what he's feeling, what he's experiencing, and the way he sees the world. The camera is really up close to his face. It's kind of shaky, it's kind of handheld but we just see into this guy's soul. It's an incredible shot. The lighting, the framing, that close-up frame, the color of the scene, you've got the green of the forest, the red of his hat, and then, you know, the sweat glistening off his skin, and then that editing, just that long shot, all that comes together to create a feeling in the audience. This process of creating that feeling is cinematography. You're going to be coming coming into close close acquaintance with cinematography with our project for this week. That's what I'm gonna talk about next. This week's assignment is a doozy. I've wanted to do this for a class for as long as I've wanted to be a teacher. This week, you're going to replicate a scene from one of your favorite movies. And when I say replicate, I mean I want us to try to match our cinematography as closely as possible to the original film that we're trying to replicate. The framing, the light, the color, and the editing. So let's say I want to recreate Paul's monologue from the end of Defy Bloods. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch that scene over and over again. Here's what I'm going to be looking at. How does the camera move? How close to Paul's face does it get? What does the light look like? What color is it? What direction is it coming from? What other colors exist in the scene and how can I pull those in? How long does each shot last? In the case of Paul's monologue, it's one long handheld shot, but if I wanted to do a scene with lots of different shots, I want to time mine exactly how the original director did. So I'm matching the camera framing, the lighting, the color, and the editing, doing all of that. Now I get it, we don't have Hollywood film studios. Heck, right now it may even be hard to get other people to work with us, Please don't do anything that forces you within the six foot social distance and keep to groups of less than 10 for these projects. You may have to choose scenes with not so many actors in order to do this. And given that we only have so much control of our locations, it would be great if you could find a location that matches the one in the film, but anything on campus will do. If I were shooting Paul's monologue, I'd try to find some bushes or trees that could sort of look like the Vietnamese jungle. I'd do my best and not worry too hard about that one. Why is it worthwhile to copy someone else's work? It's the same reason artists in beginning art classes try to replicate classic portraits like the Mona Lisa. They expand our skill set. By copying, we can start to see how great things were made. This expands our understanding of how things are done and puts tools in our tool belts. Obviously, I'm not going to steal Paul's monologue from my own work, but golly, I might want someday to have a character monologue directly to the camera like that. Spike Lee didn't invent this technique. No one has a copyright on specific camera angles. These are artists' brush strokes, and by learning them, we can add depth to our own art. Plus, I gotta know this is going to be a fun time. So some questions I know you're going to ask. Can you pick something from any movie? Absolutely. As long as the scene itself is not inappropriate in any sexual way, you can pick anything. What about music? It's pretty easy to find soundtracks for movies on YouTube, and you can work some of that in. Uh, that can bring your piece up even more. If you have the ambition to bring in the original soundtrack, go for it, but it's not required. You'll have to find a way to get your hands on the MP3s of the music, and that may be challenging to do now that most music is streamed. So don't worry about music unless you just really want to. How long does it need to be? I wanna say a minimum of two minutes long. That's gonna be more challenging than you probably think. Because of that, I'm going to extend the deadline for this particular piece. This week is the movie project. Next week, we have no project, just a midterm exam. So if you need two weeks instead of one to get this done, the deadline will be the same deadline for that midterm exam, the end of next week. In going and doing all this, it's gonna be pretty easy to match the camera framing, I think. You're just gonna use your phone or whatever camera you have access to and try to make it look on your little camera screen the same way it looked in the film. Lighting, that can be challenging. You're going to want to experiment. I have a big kind of lamp in my room that I kind of use as a spotlight when I'm doing photography. I like moving into different positions to see how light looks at different angles. You may want to experiment with some of that when you're doing your own scenes. Editing, you can time just going back and looking at the scene. And for colors, colors is mostly going to come through in the editing and in the costume design. If a character is wearing something particular in a scene, try to match what they're wearing. Uh, if, if you feel like the color mattered in that scene, did that color mean something for these characters? Are there other colors in the scene that matter? That's the stuff that you're going to want to look into. Now, I mentioned this midterm. I know some of you are gonna be nervous about that. Please don't be. As long as you've been tuning in for these podcasts and at least glancing at the textbook periodically, you have all the information you need. The questions will be very similar to those in the discussion boards. Write your answers with as much detail as possible. You can absolutely use your textbook or the internet as a resource for answering the questions. These won't be true or false or multiple choice questions. They'll ask you to apply what you've learned from doing these projects in the first half of the semester. And I'll be reading to see that they make sense given what we've talked about. That's a conversation we'll continue next week. In the meantime, start flipping back through your DVD collection or your streaming library to see what movie scene you want to copy. There are so many softwares to choose from for editing that it's not even funny. I'm going to make only one recommendation that you may absolutely use any software you like. Uh, This is a phone app called InShot. It's simple, it's free, it's got good features, it works for both Android and iPhone, and we'll talk about it in the tutorial on Thursday. In the meantime, I recommend downloading it and playing it, uh, just, just playing with it a little bit. If you have any questions, know that I'll be able to answer them Thursday or, as always, through email or Remind. You all are really killing it this semester. I'm proud of you. I hope that you enjoy this assignment. I've been so pumped about this. Let me know if you have any questions. I'll talk with you all again real soon.